0: The Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHerrin and Ewan Levick. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This episode, we'll be chatting with former Australian Chief of Navy, retired Vice Admiral Tim Barrett, and we'll be chatting about his new role as convener of the Indo-Pacific 2022 International Maritime Exposition, which is going to be held in Sydney from the 10th to the 12th of May this year. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. And as ever, I'm joined by Ewan Levick, the group editor of Australian Defence magazine. Ewan, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Grant. Okay. Well, to kick things off, Tim, can you please explain to us what Indo-Pacific 2022 is and what it does?
1: Thank you. Let me first start by saying I'm going to call it Indo-Pacific 22 because it's a lot easier to say than the International Maritime Exposition. Look, I've attended a number of these over the past decade or so, and I can say quite rightly that this is a well-regarded global business exposition that is held every two years, and it's held in Sydney, which being on the harbour, I think, is the ideal Backdrop for something of of this nature. Indo Pacific attracts a broad array of senior members of the maritime industry, both civil and defence, and that's an important uh, thing to note. It also brings military and government decision makers from around the world. It has a great international audience. It combines a three day conference programme together with the industry exposition. And this format provides both networking and engagement opportunities that bring together civil and military maritime communities to, to discuss topics that affect industry today, but also promote uh, future defence capability. The event is the largest of its type in Australia, and I think probably in the region as well. And it has been growing in significance on each occurrence. At the last show in 2019, it attracted more than 21,000 attendees across three days. And we had about 650 participating companies from 22 nations. This year, it's promising to exceed that.
2: Tim, Australia's current naval shipbuilding program has been described as the largest uh, naval acquisition program in the nation's history. What does this really mean for Australian defence industry, both in the sort of five to 10 year timeframe, but also beyond that?
1: Look, I'd like to say, obviously, that there have been periods of intense shipbuilding in Australia in the past. The period in World War II comes to mind, but the complexity and sheer ambition of the current program certainly makes this stand out. The aim is twofold. Firstly, to build the naval capability required over the coming years. That is the hulls themselves, be it frigates, submarines or patrol vessels. But equally important is the aim to build an industrial capacity and a capability that will sustain a shipbuilding capability in perpetuity. That is a continuous naval shipbuilding program. And it's this feature that augurs well for the nation's defence industry. It'll touch on everything from SME development, new global supply chains, even the creation of new specialist university courses. It's a national endeavour, and it will require deliberate and constant attention. But it delivers certainty to industry. And this is quite important. A strong, sovereign Australian industrial capacity creates economic benefit for the nation. But it also ensures that the ADF will have access to crucial capability in any future conflict where Australia may possibly, for a time, be cut off from other nations. And and this is where Indo-Pacific 22 helps. It provides the opportunity for industry to engage with defence directly, to promote cross-flow of information, to demonstrate experience. It brings together the nation's industrial capacity and raises it to the attention of overseas primes and OEMs, etc. But it also exposes a generation of Australians to the potential of what could be a new and long prosperous career. So you've you've mentioned
0: that it's uh,
1: exposing people to
0: career opportunities. It's bringing people together. Uh, so what role does the exposition play in the major projects and programs of shipbuilding beyond bringing awareness and so on? Does it uh, how, does it have any influence over the programs? Does it help bring people together that might be able to drive them further? Things like that.
1: Look, I think it does very much so. As I said previously, this. Continuous Naval Shipbuilding Programme is a great national endeavour. And it's important to all those who are going to contribute, be it in industry or be it in defence, understand the needs and the challenges, and there will be challenges. Uh, They need to understand these of each. They need to understand that information needs to be shared and that the plans can be coordinated. So Indo-Pacific is designed to be that engagement platform. Government agencies see Indo-Pacific as a platform for publicising their assistance to industry and promoting engagement to tailor their services. Defence and Navy also seek opportunities to promote their needs, their issues, their views, to the community and also to industry to identify where capability needs to be achieved. It doesn't just mean looking at platforms and equipment. Navies used the previous Indo-Pacific events to discuss everything from workforce development to engage with regional nations on security issues, to conduct bilateral meetings with our various defence partners, They've pursued intellectual discussion on the strategic geopolitical issues that inform government policy settings on national security. They consider lessons learned from the past to make better decisions today. And that's why the Chief of Navy's Sea Power Conference includes the King Hall Naval History Conference and the Senior Enlisted Leadership Conference. Both of these run alongside the industry exposition and they complement each other perfectly. Indo-Pacific is essentially unique in bringing the bulk of the maritime community together in an environment that is specifically designed to promote this engagement. There's really nothing quite like it. And lastly, by providing a platform, enabling industry, defence and organisations to plug in to an existing audience and a community, Indo-Pacific becomes a catalyst for the debate, education and engagement that influences the provision of high-end capability. It has proven particularly effective for small and medium-sized businesses promoting a new service or product, because for three days, they're in the same room as their prospective customers in an atmosphere that encourages meaningful meetings, discussion, and awareness.
2: Tim, thinking beyond defence, what um, sort of overlap is there going to be with the civilian maritime sector? What kind of presence can we expect from uh, non-military companies
1: and organisations at Indopac? It's important to convey the fact that uh, Indo-Pacific is not just a defence event. I have to say that the same principles of engagement and networking that we hope to achieve for the defence and defence industry is very similar to the maritime sector as well. And the Indo-Pacific promotes engagement across the sector because many of the issues that the industry faces are common, be it workforce issues, um, for instance, upskilling, environmental issues and developments, alternative fuels, ship design, new maritime technologies, environmental concerns, all those sorts of things. So apart from being the convener, at Indo-Pacific, I'm also a board member at what's called MILE, Maritime Industry Australia Limited. It's a peak body that represents the civil maritime industry. And at the last Indo-Pacific, MILE ran its annual conference. Why? Because we wanted to exploit the presence of so many principal players in the industry. MILE will return this year. But similarly, the Royal Institute of Naval Architects, the Institute of Maritime Engineering, Science and Technology, and Engineers Australia will all convene the International Maritime Conference at Indo-Pacific. This conference allows us to discuss latest developments in marine engineering and marine technology, both in areas of defence and commercial shipping, including new technologies, commercial ships, naval ships, submarines, autonomous vehicles. It'll look at maritime safety and even cyber security. But it's also a focus for the commercial and merchant marine Specialists in port operations, cargo handling, tug pilotage operations, spillage, pollution, cleanup, maritime safety, you name it. The market is universal. Commercial operators, as well as navies, need their services. So Indo-Pacific provides the environment in which common issues can be tackled.
0: There's certainly a lot going on in there. Uh, I'm quite impressed. It's way bigger than I thought it would be. Uh so if I was in the maritime industry, uh, you know, from what you're saying, it sounds like I want to be there anyhow. Um, but uh, what's in it for those who are in the maritime industry? Are there any, you've already listed quite a bit of good reasons for them to be there just on the scale of who's going to be around. But are there any other specifics you'd like to call out?
1: Well, I think it's interesting whether you're there as an exhibitor or whether you're a visitor or a delegate, remembering that it's not just the exposition, it's a series of conferences as well. So the sheer concentration of Those things, together with the key players from defence, industry, government, and academia, that's the great strength of what IP can deliver. So companies, I think, come to Indo-Pacific for more than just trying to sell things. Many are looking for suppliers to help solve an individual problem. Uh, They're looking for partners to help develop new products. They're looking for market intelligence. Or just for those sort of nuggets of information that you get when you're surrounded and immersed in that sort of organisation. So, such. Close proximity of all the important players in the sector at one event allows all of this to happen.
2: Tim, what can you tell us about the conference program itself?
1: The conference, as I said, is, runs in several parts. Uh, there's the exposition itself, uh, a huge part of the International Convention Centre at Sydney laid out for people to be able to show what is currently in place and what they're proposing as solutions to future design problems. Concurrently with that, the Chief of Navy runs his Power conference, which is a series of conferences that focus on key areas of not just defence industry, but the maritime sector overall. Some of them will be looking at geostrategic issues. Some of them will be looking at individual areas of design and technology or future capability. But the audience is opened up to allow conferences in each of the other parts of the sectors. As I've indicated, there may be aspects that are looking specifically at marine engineering. Uh, There may be an issue that's looking at post-COVID recovery practice in shipping industries. All of them have a related activity. All of them are part of the maritime industry. All of them are interesting subsets to what this industry has to deal with every day. So Indo-Pacific itself uh, is clearly trying to bring together the collection of things that bring together the maritime industry, and what it seeks to do through its program of engagement, networking, be it lunches, be at breakfasts, or just be at the opportunity to walk around and look at the exhibits, it immerses people from the industry in what the industry is doing
0: today. So, lots of great reasons to be there. Now, you mentioned COVID in there, and we're starting to get to the, uh, I wouldn't say post-COVID, but the living with COVID stage, uh, where we're just getting on with it now. And of course, Australia's borders are going to be opening pretty soon to international visitors. So, is all this opening up, is it all going to happen early enough to ensure that you'll have a successful Indo-Pacific 2022 with lots of uh,
1: foreign groups attending? Look, we were really pleased to hear, and so were the exhibitors, uh, pleased to hear that the the borders were opening in February and that we could proceed with this. I'd like to point out that AMDA, as a foundation, uh, ran land forces in Brisbane last year, and that was being run at a time where there was still uncertainty over what the borders were doing and where people could uh, access uh, not just the state, but whether they could still run an expo uh, in those sorts of conditions. Interestingly, it was one of the biggest land forces expositions that AMDA had operated over a period of time. The interesting thing was people adapted to the circumstances. And whilst there were shortfalls in some areas, we did not have as many international visitors as we would expect. We did find that there were other opportunities that provided local industry uh, the chance to discuss with their partners and develop solutions to problems that were evident. So it still ran, and it ran despite COVID. With that in mind, we're very confident that with the changes in restrictions at the moment across borders and with already a demonstration that more uh, counterparts and international exhibits will be in Sydney, and they've already committed, we believe that this will be a better and bigger Indo-Pacific than the last one in the year 2019.
2: Tim, you mentioned AMDA in there. I think obviously a lot of listeners will be familiar with AMDA as the organisers of the um, major trade shows in Australia. Um, but can you tell us a bit about um, AMDA as a non-for-profit and what its mission
1: statement is? Sure. It's As you said, it's an Australian not-for-profit organisation. It was established to promote specifically the development of Australia's industrial capability and manufacturing and ICT capabilities, specifically in the fields of aviation, aerospace, maritime defence and security. And it does this clearly by delivering the most prominent and I would suggest well regarded industry expositions in the country. They connect players and drivers in the Australian government, in defence, and in industry to be able to network with one another and also their counterparts around the world. And the most obvious outcomes uh, that you will see from what AMDA has done is running major events such as the Avalon Air Show. Indo-Pacific uh, land forces, and also Rotatech, a helicopter and unmanned flight exposition, which is run in Queensland.
0: So you've mentioned uh, AMDA promoting industry innovation and so on with their uh, multiple shows. A uh, particular favourite of mine, of course, being Avalon, uh, the international air show. Uh, but uh, how does all that play out specifically as part of an Indo-Pacific event?
1: Well, the foundation for quite some time has has taken great delight in being able to promote industry innovation. It's part of its raison d'etre for for running these shows. And whilst the Defence White Paper in 2016 was a bit of a watershed for defence industry, it detailed that uh, industry was going to be a fundamental capability, uh, but it also promoted uh, a significant amount of money towards innovation and R&D. But if you look back further than 2016 – AMDA and in its previous forms has been promoting innovation for uh, a few years before that. It ran its first innovation award in about 2013. Uh, Since then, uh, it's received at various innovation programs and pitch fests. It's received over 260 entries uh, for various awards. And be it its SME innovation grants or its young innovator awards, uh, it's, it's now awarded up to $450,000 to people for these particular uh, uh, entrants who have won in these competitions. I mean, it's, it's quite a broad range. The past winners have included someone who's looked at a, a new rust-proofing treatment for Navy warships, who would have thought you would still have to worry about that, um, an SME which has developed a world-leading portfolio of counter-drone technologies, but they did that in just 12 months because of the nature of their innovation. But there was also a team of young innovators who helped develop a sonar sensor management system for the Navy's new hunter class. So these are real activities with relevance to today's capabilities and AMDA has taken great delight in being able to assist in the promotion of these ideas and the skills and talents of these young innovators which is part of the as I said, the raison d'etre for why AMDA does this work in the first place. Tim, the last time I went to
2: This event, it was called Pacific 2019. Why is it now called Indo-Pacific 2022?
1: The Pacific uh, exposition has been running from about 2000 and we've had, I'd say, about 11 since then. And the last 10 have all been called Pacific. Um, But things have changed in our region in the last couple of years. And as you'd be well aware in diplomatic terms or in other areas, it's now called the Indo-Pacific, which is a real and meaningful representation of changes in the geopolitical circumstances given that the exposition is meant to reflect uh, industry, defence issues, government issues, and even diplomatic issues, it would be right and proper to consider a wider audience. And so that's what we do. We now consider the broader extent of where we sit. And whilst we've always had engagements across the Indian Ocean as well as the Pacific Ocean, um, we have probably not considered it quite well enough in the name of this exposition. So it was changed to the Indo-Pacific. It's relevant. We sit amid the major trading routes. It's relevant because some of the things that have occurred in our sphere of influence over the last couple of years have happened on the West Coast as much as they have on the East Coast. So for all those reasons, it was a right and proper decision to make to expand uh, the nature of the name to truly reflect where we're operating and where we would expect our navies and our civil industry to be operating into the future.
0: Well, thanks, Tim. That's been a, a great overview of uh, Indo-Pacific 2022 and what we can expect. Uh, I'm sure that uh, the Australian Defence magazine team will be there in force to uh, capture all the information. So uh, thanks very much for uh, joining you and I and having a good chat with us. And uh, we appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tim. And of course, thanks also to everyone who's been listening to us once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can tell a colleague about us so they too can benefit from this show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. The ADM Podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a YEFA Media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au.
1: You've been listening to a Yaffa Media podcast.
0: Southern Skies Media.